Hello and welcome to the latest episode of What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at Fintech Futures, and our guest for this episode is Kirsty Morris, Managing Director at Barclay Card Payments. Kirsty, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here with you. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you here. And so just to get started, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to our listeners with a bit about your role and what you're doing at Barclay Card? Yeah, of course. So as you said, my current role is the Managing Director for these commercial solutions for Barclay Card Payments. So fully-fledged payments geek. I'm just over 23 years in the payments business, doing lots of different roles and different parts of the payments ecosystem. But the bins that I currently focus on are the strategy, so payment strategy, commercial strategy for business, which is hugely exciting given the changing landscape. And then also commercial proposition, how we package our solutions and make them answer challenges that our clients and customers have. Excellent. And with you on the show this week, we will be diving into the wonderful world of payments. So we'll be taking a look at trends and developments in online payments over 2022 and what's to look out for in the new year, as well as what merchants can be doing to improve the payments experience for their customers. But first, as always, is our news in numbers segment. This is where our guest has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss and get us started. So Kirsty, what have you brought along for us today? Yeah, so a piece I'd like to touch on is a report from LexisNexis around a stat that's mentioned that four in 10 financial services organizations believe the cost of living crisis will lead to an increase in financial crime and fraud. And the reason I thought this is quite interesting, I mean, it's a huge economic backdrop to the world of payments, the cost of living crisis, and lots of research and lots of analysts continually checking to see what payment trends we're seeing and how that's impacting, I guess, general consumer spending. But the front piece and the crime piece is when I think it's really interesting. If we roll back a couple of years ago and the work that came out of the PSD2 directive and the launch of strong customer authentication, whilst strong customer authentication can at times feel a little bit painful, so that's that bit where you have to put in the code that you get text or WhatsApp or you have to go into your mobile banking app, that actually was foreseeing increasing crime and fraud and adding that extra layer of security in. So I found it interesting because this had been predicted without the cost of living crisis or hanging over us. And the industry made that shift to make sure that we're regulating in a way that protected both consumers actually and retailers and merchants in the advent that these things continue to increase, which seems to the point of this report now slightly more likely than it would have been regardless. However, I think what we have seen is whilst there's that sort of painful at times experience um, whilst it's doing the job, there's also been really good advancements in the way in which that tech is deployed. So things like a, a solution I can mention is our payments transact solution, which looks to almost manage the algorithms to say that this is a low fraud transaction and then bypass some of those extra checks, allowing that seamless customer experience, but still offering that extra protection that's clearly going to be required as we hit the backdrop that we're currently hitting as a UK economy. That sounds good. I mean, one of the things that came out of that as well was 69% of financial services organizations planning to increase their investment as well to tackle this technology. Is that something you're seeing at Barclay as well? Are you part of that kind of like 69% in terms of boosting that investment side of things as well to keep on top of everything? 
I think it's fair to say we continually invest in this space. It's a, it's just a huge space. And we also made sure that we look to protect that consumer experience. It's all about letting as many good transactions go through the ecosystem while stopping and blocking the bad ones. That's the basic ethos, right? And getting that balance right is the absolute sweet spot. So yes, I think we will, we have invested and we will continue to invest in making sure that happens in the right way. Here we are in part two of the podcast. This is our more interview style section where we focus the discussion into a specific industry topic or sector. So as mentioned today, we'll be taking a look at the digital payments landscape. So how would you say that the digital payment space has evolved over 2022 and what are some of the key trends for you at the moment? I mean, digital payment space is continually evolving and at pace, and you do need a crystal ball, I think, to be able to guess what's going to come next because the options are endless. But I think that the big things that I would reflect on for 22 is digital wallets. I think that's probably at the forefront of most people's minds when you ask this question. The rise of digital wallets has been unbelievable, really. We saw the jumps in the use of digital wallets to a certain point, and then we've seen it start to outstrip contactless payments in the store and the conventional payments online. And I think what's really interesting with digital wallets is it all comes back to something quite close to my heart, which is customer experience. So the reality is that if I have my payment instruction, and I'll call it that because card feels old fashioned these days, when I put my payment instruction into my digital wallet, it doesn't really matter how I shop or who I shop with. And I have that complete ubiquity and a seamless experience that's fully authenticated. So I think that's probably the trend over the course of 22 that really stands out. And actually the question now becomes how much further does the digital wallet space go and how does that evolve as we move forward? And actually does it become a question of that becoming my identity? And you think about the data insight and analytics of that and actually what could that potentially evolve into? So I think that's probably a really, really big trend um, for 22. A couple of others probably worth thinking about is I mentioned around SCA and security in the prior question. I think that locking down security, making sure that this space is well regulated, but trying not to impact again that customer experience and friction, I think has been a really big topic over the course of 22, the advent of that strong customer authentication switch on and how different retailers have managed that with their customers, I think has been significant in the digital payment space this year. And it's definitely a conversation I've had with lots of different retailers this year. It's just how they manage that balance of protecting their business, but not annoying really, really good customers. I think the other space that's interesting is virtual cards. So we always talk about that consumer space, but how can you use virtual cards or payment instructions in the B2B space? So managing whether it's corporate sort of T&E spend or whether it is managing invoices and procurement processes, the advent of virtual cards in that space has been a really, really interesting digital trend, less mainstream because it is much at that B2B space. But again, a really interesting set of developments over the course of 22. And you mentioned the customer side there as well. So how have their expectations changed over the last year when it comes to the online payments? In my opinion, the customers have become a little bit more LDVA, I think it's fair to say. I think the expectations have increased significantly. 
I think there's, it's like a currency exchange, isn't it? I think with consumers and I speak personally as well. I'm okay with sharing my data and my information into a portal, whether that's a phone or a laptop or even physically in a store, potentially, as long as I get something back in return. There's a trade-off and the trade-off is that I expect you to adopt to how I want to shop and what I want to buy and the way in which I want to buy it. So I think that just the shift in it being customers always right. And if I like in the digital space to roll back a few years and making sure that when you walk in your local pub, that the landlord and landlady make sure that they've got the drink that you want ready for you. And oh yeah, same again. It's that, it's that same human interaction in a digital space. So I refer to it occasionally as personalization at scale, but I think that's what consumers expectation is now. And actually, it shouldn't matter if I am shopping on my mobile phone, if I'm on my laptop, if I walk into a store, I expect the same personalization at scale and my choice to be the only choice that really matters in that particular scenario. You've mentioned personalization there as well. How important is that in the payment space at the moment? I think it's going to become increasingly more important. Only this week we were talking to some partners around the metaverse and the avatar version of me shopping, all of which my children love the idea of, but terrifies me. But I think, you know, that personalization, if you think about how consumer behavior is changing, just the concept of the metaverse and avatars and wanting to personalize an avatar, we would be, it would be remiss, I think, of any of us to think that for that personalization in the payment space is any different. So do I want to be able to pay in with the payment instruction I want in the way that I want to? And actually, I really want you to make sure that you're offering me the best value for money. So I want to make sure that I've got the offers and loyalty connected to that transaction. I want you to be thinking about helping me do that, not me pushing. So I think, honestly, I think personalization, it's a bit like CX is the battleground. Personalization is a big part of customer experience. So I think, yeah, absolutely could be the sort of next battleground in the payment space or even retailing, frankly. And I mean, one of the things that you mentioned in the opening of the show as well was that a strong customer authentication and having to add these extra steps into the payments kind of process. From my experience, it seems like I'm having to do this a, a lot more in, in a lot of my banking apps these days. How important is that striking the balance between that security and that smooth payments experience there? Again, I think it is absolutely that customer experience battleground. And I think when retailers get this spot on and you have that really seamless payment experience, it's almost the opposite of when the original 3DS came in and you had to type in a remembered passcode. If you get this right, the lack of friction almost makes you stand out because you have that seamless customer experience. So what we're working with a number of our clients and customers on is helping them strike that balance because there's ways to manage the regulation and make sure you're doing everything as you should be. But again, making sure those good customers go through that process without actually having to type in that passcode. So you'll notice it sometimes, and I'm sure you've done it. I know I have when I'm on, I'm buying, I'm waiting for the, I have to do my passcode and it doesn't happen I'm like it's almost a surprise and delight I don't have to do that so I think that balance is right because that has to be done in a way that behind the scenes there is incredibly intelligent ecosystems that sit behind this and AI and machine learning that manages those profiles and makes sure that the retailers are protected if it's all done in the right way so it doesn't allow that to happen 
that seamless experience if it does think actually you know what Paul you might be a little bit dodgy and what you're doing might be dodgy we want to stop you doing that but you know good Paul when he's buying all the right things and doing all the right things we don't want to trouble you with that passcode so yeah huge battleground I would say. Excellent excellent and with the cost of living crisis going on in the UK at the moment have you noticed any shifts in consumer behaviours from your side? At the minute, it's, I wouldn't say we've seen huge shifts. I think we track something called the Consumer Spend Index. It's something we monitor on a monthly basis. And what we look at is the way in which consumers effectively spend across the monthly period. And we measure year on year and month on month. So what you saw earlier in the year, actually, is you start to see sort of inflation. We start to see increase in consumer spend. But it wasn't necessarily in the segments you would expect. It would be on things like groceries. And if you start to look at the spend index now, you're starting to see that shift away from maybe some of the luxury items as we would define them into that everyday spend, whether that's gas and electric and utilities and fuels or whether it's groceries and actual food shopping. So we, there's definitely signals in the data that suggest people are spending in exactly the way that I think more generally it's reported mainstream, which is less luxury, more spending money on the day-to-day essentials. Outside of that, I don't, at this point, there isn't anything obvious. It's an indication of massive shift between one channel to another, like online to install anything like that, or massive shifts between credit and debit, which would suggest other things. So I think at the moment, this probably signals that people are choosing to spend their money on the essentials versus luxury, but not enough to be a stark contrast in anything that would massively jump out. More signals at this point, I would suggest. Switching then to the merchants' perspective, how have their expectations evolved when it comes to the partners that, that they're working with at the moment? Yeah, so I think one of the things we hear more and more from UK merchants is really consolidation. I think there is so, the payments ecosystem. If I go back, probably 15, 20 years, taking a payment off a box and a desk, and then it was exciting when you could take a payment online, that was considered complicated. You know, fast forward to where we are now and the different connection points, the ecosystem I've talked about, the AI, machine learning, loyalty, different payment types, digital wallets. I mean, it's pretty vast, isn't it? And I think over time, lots of the UK merchants have bolted those pieces on from the providers that have maybe been first to market or the ones that have done those things have been renowned for those pieces of capability. And there's definitely a desire to consolidate where possible and make sure that the consolidation allows them to offer actually those really nice customer experiences to be able to bounce around different payment types and different parts of the ecosystem and to remove the opportunity for something to go wrong in a particular space and then it would impact other areas, et cetera. So I think that's probably one of the spaces that we, when we speak to merchants. And the other thing is probably around data and insight. I think data and insight and understanding how those different trends might affect their business, how consumers are interacting with their businesses across different channels, that I think is more and more important from a merchant's perspective and to help them drive decisions that they might make about their own business and what they do next. And how important is it then for payments businesses to differentiate their service offerings as well? Yeah, look, I think it's really important. I think merchants, UK merchants, like many of us, facing increased costs and having to manage what they're paying out and what values they get back in as a business. I think what we've tried to do as a business is, as a scale business with the biggest payments processor in the UK and number two in Europe, 
we've tried to use our sort of breadth and our scale to help provide value across different parts of the supply chain for our clients. So whether it's the data and insights analytics that come off those solutions because of the scale that we have across the business and be able to offer insights and expertise back, or whether it's trying to connect some of our eco, some of our capability with our partners. So partners that we can work with connect to to offer therefore something back in as a consolidated solution to our merchants. They're the sorts of things that we think our hopefully advantages that we are offering to our merchant base. So we're trying to almost do some of that heavy lift for them and act as that gatekeeper to allow them to do what they do best, which is usually selling some awesome stuff or giving an awesome service and allow us to manage the headache of manage regulated environments, multiple partners, plugins, integrations, and a pretty complex ecosystem, honestly. Excellent. And what specific technologies and sector innovations then would you say that merchants can use to enhance their existing offerings? I think there's so much out there and I'm a payments geek and it sometimes blows my head up. So I have all of the sympathy in the world for our merchants, retailers, restaurateurs, people that are trying to run their business, knowing which way to go. And the innovations are just, again, this week I was looking at virtual reality and augmented reality and digital humans. And there's so much out there. I think there's where we might go to is quite staggering. I think the things that I would encourage merchants to do is to consider almost short and midterm because we can't predict everything. We can only signal where things are going. I think the things that I would be focused on if I was a, a retailer or a merchant facing into this would be security. It's not as sexy as digital humans, but it's really important in making sure that payments happen protected seamlessly when possible and protecting business and consumers, I think is a really, really big part of the payments ecosystem. I think streamlining and taking costs out is probably an area that doesn't feel innovative by its very nature, but actually it could be. So like I mentioned before, virtual cards, app-based solutions, the T&E. I think we, we have something called Precision Pay Go. Um, and then thinking about procurement payments and how to streamline those and remove costs from the business. I actually think they're really interesting spaces. And then I do think that probably slightly more on the consumer innovative side is definitely thinking about that personalization, data analytics insight, and being able to do that personalization at scale. They're the things that I think if I was in that role, they'd be the things that I would be thinking about. Excellent. What are your thoughts on the rise of BMPL at the moment? Where do you see that industry going next? Yeah, so it continues to grow in popularity, doesn't it? Buy now, pay later. And I think it's a different way for retailers to connect with consumers and offer them, again, it's about choice, right? I might not want to spread a payment over a few months. You might, okay? But it doesn't mean either is right or wrong. It's just about choice and convenience. So I think given the backdrop, would you make an assumption that buy now, pay later will continue to grow in popularity given the potential cost of living crisis and consumers wanting to just be able to stretch monthly payments? Look, I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think there's some really interesting solutions out there. But the one thing I will say is back to probably the most important trend for me in the payment space and having been in it for more than 20 years, it still does remain that regulation and protection of consumers 
has to be the absolute minimum and making sure that this part of any of those solutions, I think is going to be key to how well actually that space does grow in popularity because actually it only takes something to go wrong, but therefore consumers will very quickly avoid it. So I think the regulation is an important part to the growth actually of that segment. Excellent. And, and looking specifically at Barclay Card payments, then what does the near-term future look like for you? Well, as I said, it's an exciting time for a payments geek and Barclay Card. And thinking about how do we power the next generation of e-commerce business and just commerce in the UK is sort of how we're thinking. I think we've made really good progress and I feel really proud of some of the things that we've done, managing that online payment space and using really cool technology to make sure that protects customers and consumers, but have that seamless online experience as we shifted into a world where online became even more important to us all as consumers. Uh, we've launched some new stuff this year. So we launched something called Smart Pay Touch, which is for our small and medium enterprise businesses to run their businesses all in one. So it's kind of an all-in-one access to payments and business management software, which is cool and something new for us. And then things like on the sort of the corporate, the issuing t &E side, Apple Pay into our position pay products to be able to do that sort of digital payments for T&E for the corporate space. I think they're really interesting developments that I think will continue to evolve. I think it's going to be really exciting to see where the payment space goes and the role that we at Barclay Card Payments play in that. I think data and insights will continue to be a massive trend as we will customer experience. So I'm excited about some of the things that we're doing in that space and how we're thinking about it. And then actually how we partner with other organizations to make sure that we get best of everything can consolidate that in for retailers. So yeah, that's, I think that's the stuff that I feel quite proud of and I'm excited. Bye. Here we are in part three of the podcast. This is the FinTech Jail. This is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of. We will then debate whether it deserves a place in the jail or if it's already there, whether it needs an extended sentence. Or of course, our guests can argue to free one of the previously incarcerated terms. So Kirsty, which buzzword do you want to hand a sentence to this week? This is tricky, isn't it? Because there's a few contenders. So, so the one that I'm settled on actually is orchestration layer, mainly because I think if you say it to most people, they don't quite know what you mean, which is always a bit of an acid test for me as to a term is how it's used. And if I mention it to anyone who's not in the payments or a fintech space, they just look at me like I'm talking about an opera maybe or, or a concert. So I think it's a term that's used, it's also used really broadly and therefore loses a lot of meaning. So for me, orchestration layer does deserve to be put in the fintech jail. Yeah, I think I agree that it's definitely being used a bit too broadly with what it is. I, I mean, I had a quick look up afterwards just to see if I, how many times it's popped up in various kind of like iterations. And it seems like I saw it could mean configuration management or automation. And then suddenly it's like, well, if it means all of those things. <laughs> what are we specifically looking at kind of thing but if we were to get rid of orchestration then what words or phrase do you think would you propose using instead of that one would make more sense various different words I guess if it means so many kind of like different things yeah well I think that's that would be it for me it would be different things I think integration is one point which is let's talk about how we integrate connect things again that's not a layer that is just an activity that connects things I think a payment processor or a gateway, which is usually sort of middleware, 
that manages the intelligence is again, it's not really a layer, it's just part of the existing payments ecosystem. Over time, there will always be bits of tech and bits of kit that will be plugged in different places, but that is not an orchestra. That is just capability that's plugged in different places. And look, you might have at times a thin layer that sits in front of that comes to something that makes an integration, a single integration versus multiple. But again, that's integration tech. So for me, it would be, we don't really need the term, I guess is what I would say. And it's more about what is it that we're actually talking about and use the word that defines what it is. Yeah, I would completely agree with that one. To be honest, you're not going to find any yeah <laughs> contestation from me. Yeah, I am. I'm more than happy to, to ditch orchestration layer into the gel. I would imagine it might be there for a long time. To be honest, it would take a certain person to to want to break that one back out. I guess, but um, <laughs> yeah. So we, we will drop that one in, Kirsty. I'm more than happy to do so. Well, that's all we have time for this episode. Thanks, of course, to Kirsty for joining me. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at www.fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures, and of course on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service to get notified about future episodes. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech, but until then, goodbye.